Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. Today is Monday, March 1st. Uh, my name is Owen, and I'm joined by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? We got a new song. Yeah, and you didn't notice anything different on that. I didn't notice anything different on that. If my editing chops are up to par, then everyone else will have noticed something a little different. Hopefully that uh, improves the quality a little. You want to tell us a little about that song? Yeah, so it's it's fun. It's a, a song. My dad is in a band, and uh, this is from way back, 1990 mystery train is the track by uic and uh if it sounds to anyone like uh nirvana's smells like teen spirit that's because there is a link there Uh, and cool little backstory on it is they were pitched kind of the the song by uh composer richard cranston or carstens pardon me and uh they made the song pushed it out and and gave a copy of the track to uh people that they met at a at a gig and those people took it back to seattle which is where nirvana was producing their music at the time and and a couple months later they heard that song come out and thought there were some similarities so i don't want to say that nirvana copied my dad and his, his band song but there could be some influence there which is a pretty cool, cool little tidbit uh and so we thought it sounds familiar to people but it is slightly different and it's got a good energy to kind of kick off the show. So I'm excited to to be able to showcase a little bit of music now on the pod. Yeah, nice to keep a personal touch, neighborly touch in there as well. My only family connection to Nirvana is like my great grandma's sister something having a dress that there's a picture of Kurt Cobain in. Uh, so, you know, I have six degrees of connection and all yeah. that. Very cool. All right. We will get into the agenda for today. Uh, It is March. And so obviously, we will have to talk some March Madness at some point. Uh, Not going to happen today. I need to really brush up on the college hoops because I've been following some of those rookies, but some of those teams that those rookies are on might not even be in the tournament. Selection Sunday is two weeks away, so we have time before them. But uh, before that, we will talk some baseball, uh, some takeaways from the Blue Jays' first spring training game yesterday against the Yankees in a win. Always good to kick the season off with a win. Uh, then Max is going to break down fight night that happened on Saturday. Then we got some basketball and some hockey to wrap things up. Should be a bit of a shorter show today, which is all right, uh, as I'm sure people have busy weeks here in the in the dog days of winter. Uh, so to speak and I think everyone's just sledging through at this point but uh, we will kick it off with some baseball where uh, we go all the way down to Florida and some beautiful images from the New York Yankees spring training facility wishing I was there right now my my grandparents had planned to travel there this year uh, that was on the docket, and they planned that as as early as a year ago. Um, and obviously, that can't happen now. They're still waiting for their vaccine, which they should be getting very shortly, which is exciting. But uh, I will talk baseball. Let me get right into baseball. And and some of my key takeaways from from the game yesterday between the Yankees and the Blue Jays. Uh, the very first thing I want to say is is Vladdy talked about losing that weight, and he already looks better. He already looks more in shape, more athletic at the plate. Even it just, it seems like he just, he's, he's a smaller presence at the plate, but he's cut down and you can notice it. And then the big moment was he scored from second on a single, which I don't know if he did that all of last year, (laughs) unless it was like a very deep single, but he actually had the wheels to get around third and, slide in safely without much of a play at home so really really good to see because that is actually going to translate into some runs for us as the season go on because there are going to be times when last year he wouldn't have been able to leg out uh two bases on a single or three bases on a double but he might be able to do it this year which is actually going to help produce more runs on the base paths 
Uh, so happy to see that he's made this adjustment. Now it's just about making sure that he can maintain that weight throughout the season because these guys in a 162 game grind, they're really not focusing on uh, building muscle. It's all about maintaining your, your current composition because it's nearly impossible to do that with all the travel and all the games that's being played. I feel like it must be nearly impossible to lose weight in that kind or to gain too much fat in that kind of season though. Eh? Like- it's true. Yeah, you just have to worry about maintaining the muscle though because if you're doing a ton of cardio, you're just going to lose mass in all regards. Uh, next takeaway was Rowdy to Les. Um, he hit well last year for the Jays, and it looks like he's already <laughs> coming into spring training with a good approach. Just smashed a double, uh, ground rule double, with the bases loaded in the first and, and had a nice hard single up the middle. So two for two for him, looking good. Uh, Marcus Semi and Kevin Biggio leading off uh, for the Jays. In, in the top of the order and they had some great plate appearances, which is going to be super, super key for us this season. Cause they're going to set the tone for the lineup. Uh, Bichette will be in there too. And Springer will be in there too at some point. So a lot of great uh, guys with great plate awareness uh, to start innings. And that's what you're going to need. You want to make sure that, that the opposing pitchers are getting right into the thick of the lineup as soon as they step on the mound and, and, uh, those guys are going to provide great plate appearances and Semyon had some good moments today. And I think just from what I've heard, the veteran presence that he's bringing to the team right now, making sure you're doing things consistently and doing them the right way. Uh, I'm excited to have him a part of the team this season. There was, I was watching just bits and pieces of it. Uh, I FaceTime my grandparents because they didn't know that spring training was on. So uh, I was letting them know they were very excited to have, something else to do because they've been inside now for maybe an entire year, like really, really tough for our high risk populations during this time. Uh, and so very excited to get them watching some baseball cause they love it. And I was watching the broadcast and Luke Voigt of the Yankees, they were, they are having an interview with him cause it was the Yankees network that was just being broadcast. Uh, and he swore, when his teammate hit a home run, he was fired up and came through the broadcast and he was like, oh, sorry, guys, sorry, guys, <laughs> right after because he noticed. It's just a funny moment that you're not going to get during the regular season, but just the 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 kinks and the rust of spring training uh, and you get to see a little bit of emotion because baseball, like hockey, is a sport where you don't get a lot of emotion a lot of anecdotes from guys and that's something that they're trying to work on and and one of the reasons why I said that Fernando Tatis signing was so important because he brings a ton of emotion all right and then that's it for spring training uh later in the day the the Jays made the trade uh for Travis Bergen uh for cash considerations so they pick up a lefty who's probably gonna come out of the bullpen the Jays actually had him he got rule five picked from them by the Giants then returned and then they traded him in the Robbie Ray deal last season and so now they've got him back for a third time um solid pickup I, d- I don't know his numbers too much but I, what I do know is that the Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays have generally have hit poorly against left-handed pitching and are projected to do so again this season and so I guess the Jays are just trying to bolster the bullpen with a little bit more lefty action just to make things tough on those two teams because the AL East is going to be an absolute grind this season but yeah we'll have lots of spring training games over the next couple weeks as we get closer and closer we're about a month away from the start of the baseball season and then from there it's a long grind across the summer but uh, excited because um, this Blue Jays team has a lot of a lot of potential a lot of excitement surrounding it and uh, it's nice to be in and on the train early, uh, but that's it for me for baseball banner. We'll take a quick break and come back for some UFC combat corner. And we're back for some combat corner. Uh, I did a little reading before this uh, segment and it seems like it was a bit of a snooze fest on Saturday, but I'm sure there's still some takeaways that can be made and, and Max, you're going to do that for us now. Yeah, I guess uh 
This is the Monday morning kick off your week podcast. We started with some baseball and now we're talking about one of the slower UFC cards in recent memory. So hopefully it just lulls you into the week and we'll pick up as it goes. Yeah, we had the tune going at the beginning though. That provided the energy. But besides that, I guess we're just easing people into it. (laughs) Might have to play with the audio levels a little. But yeah, I mean, that's... I wasn't talking about the whole card, but if you were here for my preview on Friday, I said this, you've got to temper your expectations for this main event because the stylistic matchup of these two just does not really produce one of those barn burner fights. It's two guys who are very technical, so they're not going to be throwing anything wild and they both kind of capitalize on their opponents making mistakes with some slight differences where Rosenstrike is looking for that one shot counter to knock you out and Gon is more looking for that just nullify all your offense and then he'll find his own with like the jabs the touches and try and make you make a mistake and find the finish off that so that that style just doesn't really match up against each other for anything too high pace or like get your blood boiling and that's what we saw we saw gone switching stances moving stepping in with the jab when he could to just kind of touch up rosenstrike looking for the front kicks tapping kicks when he could find them and you saw rosenstrike just looking for that one punch to win him the night because that's all he needs and you saw the years of kickboxing experience evident in rosenstrike not doing anything too wild too out there but you saw the years of muay thai experience and gone not giving rosenstrike the opportunity to land that counter punch i mean i saw something like rosenstrike's significant strike accuracy was around 40 percent and i don't think any of gone's opponents had been above 28 percent before so that does kind of just speak to the levels of striking credentials that uh these two bring into the cage but it was gone's night i mean really just a master class in defense and range management he never really looked wobbled or uncomfortable in there 25 straight minutes of just staying out of danger and winning rounds with like a dominant 50 45 performance in the bank and if you'd seen rosenstrike's uh, fight against Overeem, you know that's kind of what he had to do. I mean, Alistair Overeem, 10 seconds away from winning a five-round main event against Rosenstrike, and he gets knocked out and his lip violently burst open. So I can't criticize for gone for doing anything other than maintaining course all the way throughout the night. I mean, once you're up two, three rounds you're doing fine and it's the onus isn't on you to do anything different rosenstrike on the other hand you can kind of criticize because he really didn't get anything significant off he didn't win any rounds and he didn't change it up so yeah you've got that one strike knockout power that can win you the fight but if you don't feel like you have a delivery mechanism for it through the first three rounds of your game plan then it might be time to switch up the game plan and you might need to take some more risks in there but ultimately he chose not to and that's fine i mean this is rosenstrike's first loss by decision in the ufc and everyone else he'd fought other than francis and ganu he knocked out and I don't really have that much reason to think he can't do that to most of the divisions still. So I think he's still a top five contender. You, There's a lot of interesting fights you could throw his way of just guys trying to rise their stock. And that's a real test. You need to be able to pass in the heavyweight division, finding a way to beat a guy with that knockout power. So I don't think Rosenstrike goes anywhere away from the top five. Cyril Gaunt raises his stock with just showing how patient he can be, how long his style can be 
and the effectiveness of going 25 minutes with a guy that everyone else got into knockout trouble with. I mean, even Francis Ngannou, he, he got threatened and he replied in kind and then some, but I don't think he even wanted to deal with the power and had to take a different approach. So I said it before this fight, I'll say it again. I, the winner, I think, should fight Curtis Blades. So Cyril gone. Oh, there's my reminder to pay rent, which I haven't had to do in eight months. Do. Uh, there's, I think, gone versus Blades is the fight to make. Again, probably not the most exhilarating of matchups, but just two guys near the top of the division who haven't run into too much trouble. I mean, Blades needs some redemption, so taking on a up-and-comer, undefeated guy like Gon is perfect, and Gon just needs to get in line of that heavyweight cue now. Uh, I apologize for all the pauses. We're having some technical allergy problems. Some decongestions have been consumed, may become the hockey segment. I will stop having to sniffle every five seconds and pause every ten seconds to deal with it. Anyway, heavyweight fight, kind of as expected. The rest of the card, a bit of a letdown, and that probably made the main event that much less enjoyable. Um, the co-main event, Nikita Krylov versus Magomed Ankalaev. Of all the fights, that was one that happened. I, I can't really remember too many moments of excitement in it. Ankalaev took the victory 29-28 and showed he's belongs at the top of the division i mean krilov was a test he had to pass to get there and stand-up looked better than the karate experienced kickboxer his wrestling his sambo was able to get him out of any and all jujitsu trouble and even be a bit more dominant uh, able to apply the pace show that terrifying accuracy he has against guys with a little more experience who have been in there with more killers he wasn't able to find the off button the way he has in most of his recent fights like against Ion Kutalaiba against Dalcia Lumbugagia there's no way I even got close to that right but and Goliath, I mean like I in this light heavyweight division which is pretty wide open at the moment and he's definitely a guy who's in very short company of becoming like a clear-cut number one contender he's got the winning streak he's got the finishing power he's got the well-roundedness to his game uh alexander rakic yuri prochaneza and i'd say magmed ankalaev all riding very similar waves at the moment where They've had these great runs to the top of the division. Now there's a couple names still in there with them where they can test each other and hopefully one or two real contenders emerge to fight whatever is going to happen to the champion of the division after next Saturday's big super fight. And just thinking about that has me so much more excited. It's the disparity sometimes between the fight nights and the pay-per-views. But might have to actually watch that one. I'd, yeah. Even the guy who doesn't know most of the names on the card is excited. And I'll wrap this up quickly. Not a lot else to say. The most exciting fight on the card was Jimmy Rivera versus Pedro Munoz. I owe Pedro Munoz an apology because I said he did two things really, really well jiu-jitsu and having a very powerful right hand he added another to that arsenal the calf kick continues to be absolutely devastating in mixed martial arts without much of an answer or a hint of what could be an answer being presented i mean it's just this money in the bank weapon like jimmy rivera i i think you could give him the first round where he landed a lot of head and body shots had great pressure but just Rivera or Munoz time and time again when challenged just goes back to the calf kick lands it lands it Rivera looks like he's getting probably the better of most of the striking exchanges like I'll take those two three punch combos over like a one calf kick at a time but come the sec 
near the end of the first round, Rivera starts to slow down, and midway into the second round, you can tell that the calf kick has just taken over. There's, And as the fight goes on, Rivera just has less to threaten offensively as he has to deal with it. Uh, he looked very uncomfortable going to Southpaw and hardly did that. And so Munoz gets the decision and not a lot of uh, suspense, but when it's time for one arm to go up, you you just wonder what... Because two years ago, you could kind of think, like, not every gym is thinking about this. But at this point, you've got to think, like, if any fighter has grown a calf kick in any of their fights and you're watching tape prepping for it, you see it, you've got to wonder, okay, what do we do? And I know Bisping was talking about checking not really working as well on the kick because you still end up presenting some of your muscle to get touched. Uh, So it's more about dodging, which is pretty hard to do if the calf kick thrower has the right idea about range and distance management. So I feel like it's either going to take some knockouts, like just timing it perfectly and making them pay for even trying to throw it, or a couple of like Anderson Silva-esque leg injuries trying to throw a kick. But I'm not too sure on the physics of how possible that is versus if the kick is aimed at the thigh. But for now, calf kick continues to be dominant. Um, You saw that also in the Alexis Davis win over Sabrina Mazo. I mean, Davis, not really a striker by any means, just been in there a long time. But you can tell she'd been training that all camp and was just able to use it to kind of turn the fight in her favor and find her way to victory through it. So it does feel like a matter of time because this has just been too dominant a technique to not have all the minds in in MMA scrambling for an answer. And you've got to think something will come eventually, but for now, the calf kick is king in MMA. Last fight I wanted to talk about on the card was Tiago Moises versus Alexander Hernandez. Tiago Moises continues to impress, rising through the division with a great win that showed off mostly his stand-up game, which, I mean, six months ago, he was getting absolutely pieced up over a round by Michael Johnson, and it looks like a completely different fighter, just able to tame the explosiveness and aggressiveness of Hernandez over 15 minutes and get the better of the exchanges and cap Hernandez's pressure and put on his own, which is really impressive because Hernandez is like a bull in there when he's at his best in that low explosive stance, just kind of endless cardio to nonstop push forward. But Moises made him pay often, made him pay early and gets it done. So You've got to think he's quite close to having a number into his name, even in this deep division with the run he's currently on. Uh, Hope to see Tiago Moises in there again soon. So that's all I wanted to talk about for the fight night. We're one, I guess, five days out from the triple title fight pay-per-view headlined by a super fight, which... When the fight was made, I had tough feelings because I think two rightful number one contenders got screwed over in the matchmaking of this, but I can only suspend my excitement for so long, and coming up on the weekend, I'm starting to feel it build, especially with the bantamweight title on the line as well. Um, This is a fight, Jan versus Sterling, that's been building for over a year, kind of united in their solidarity against the king of cringe, Henry Cejudo, and their frustration of watching him choose Jose Aldo, Dominic Cruz, over like them who had been putting together a winning streak in their division. And then a lot of uh, professionalism and congratulations to each other when Sterling took out Sandhagen in under a minute and then Jan ultimately gets the nod and the approval to fight for the title and does so successfully and you love the respect in Jan making sure Sterling is the first guy he defends his title against so 
I'm super excited for those two fights. Maybe less excited to see Megan Anderson uh, attempt to climb a mountain. But uh, yeah, five days away, you're talking about being excited and maybe having to watch this one. So I know it's a big fight week. And, yeah, it's yeah, okay. it's it's <laughs> well, obviously I'm not going to pay for it. So uh Dana White, if you're listening, don't listen to this part. Yeah. <laughs> Dana is king undefeated against all streamers. There have been no streams since Dana White stepped onto the scene and I I don't know why you'd make a joke like that. Yeah, I, nothing to be said, but uh maybe we'll talk after the show. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, we'll be after a quick break to discuss things. We'll be back to talk some basketball. One, and we're back. Owen, walk me through your NBA storylines for coming off the weekend. Yes, sir. It has been many a year, but the New York Knickerbockers are relevant in the National Basketball Association. The Knicks are fourth in the East with a 109-90 to win over the Detroit Pistons last night. Obviously, Detroit, uh, second-worst record in the league, worst team in the Eastern Conference. Not super impressive, but just I think the season cumulatively for the Knicks has been very fun. Uh, I don't see them as a team that's going to make a ton of noise in the playoffs, but for Knicks fans, they've been waiting, searching for anything, and they are getting results from a mishmash of guys who are on their second team, on their third team, and then they got some young guys in there. Emmanuel quickly has been a revelation, certainly a steal uh, as a 25th pick in the draft. And Derek Rose pickup was solid for them. Randall, of course, being named an all-star for the first time. And so uh, it's very rare that a team of this, with a market size as big as the Knicks and New York, actually seems to be being rooted for by the majority of, of sports fans, just because of the pain and torture that the Knicks have endured uh, feels similar to a Cleveland Browns or a Buffalo bills, just the team that, that people want to back after they've experienced so much heartbreak. Uh, and so, but you don't really see that with New York because Yankees fans are insufferable and Lakers fans are insufferable and, just the success that they have experienced and the money and power that they have. Um, But yeah, it is nice to see that the Knicks are relevant, uh, especially in a time where the league is struggling. So when things open back up, they're going to get so much revenue from this Knicks team. That is great for the health of the league. Um, So you got to look at from that perspective, if you're, if you're still not a Knicks fan uh, or if you're just not, ever going to be supportive of a New York franchise. You at least just have to look at it from a, a bird's eye view and what it means for the success of the sport as a whole, because New York just drives so much economic value for any sport. Um, and it's nice to see them doing well. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see early in the season, the Raptors had a game against them and showed them some different looks. Uh, and there was a bit of a veteran presence that took over. I think, I'm, I'm interested to see if the Knicks make the playoffs, how they will adapt to just the different pace. And even though their defense is solid, it just is very different when teams start exposing the one weakness in your lineup or the one player and put them in pick and roll over and over again. Uh, but yeah, hopefully the Knicks make the playoffs because it's fun. Whenever the Knicks teams are relevant, the, the garden, the Mecca, it, it's buzzing. And so, yeah, shout out to the Knicks. <laughs> It's funny, I don't see uh, the Leafs getting any of that love you're describing with uh, the Bills, the Knicks, and the Browns. Uh, I wanted to ask you, though, do you see any similarities between the 2014 Raptors and this Knicks team? Yeah, uh, I guess. The difference is with the Knicks is they've kind of accumulated just guys through free agency and it didn't make a lot of sense. And then they finally had new leadership. I guess you can see it in that regard is the new leadership has come in similar to a Maasai and really like adjusted and clarified the direction of the team. They actually, it seems like they have a plan now, which is huge for the Raptors and now is huge for the Knicks. I think the difference is the Raptors had less of the young talent. Uh, It was kind of DeRozan and, and Lowry was already into his prime. Um, 
And then you've got Valanciunas as well. Those were kind of the, the pieces at the time. With the Knicks, they've got RJ, they've got Obi Toppin, they've got Quickly, they've got Mitchell Robinson. They've got just a little bit more higher-end young talent. Um, so I guess there's a difference there. But it, I think it really, like, the, the biggest similarity you could see between those two teams is just the culture change, right? Is this new leadership comes in, it sets a plan, it actually knows what it's doing. It seems like Dolan has taken a step back, which is always good uh, for the success of the team. And and then the other thing you would look at is just that the culture of working harder than the other team. And uh, that Raps team had a lot of grit the very first time they made it to the playoffs. And, and honestly, they really had a great shot of beating the Brooklyn Nets in the first round. Um, and so, yeah, in, and hopefully the Knicks follow a similar trajectory because it just make the Eastern Conference more exciting and more interesting if, if they could pull off a, a sustained playoff presence certainly the season for it yes all right we'll move along uh into some sunday action the afternoon game between the los angeles clippers and the milwaukee bucks the bucks take it uh with a late slam dunk by Giannis to kind of put the cap on the game uh he had a big corner three-pointer too uh in that game and uh, Drew Holiday was back and provided some defensive presence. He's a little bit rusty, um, which sucks for my for, for my fantasy team, but I'm just happy that he's back because he's been doing great. And the Clippers didn't score in the last three minutes of the game, which was very interesting to see. And it had kind of because LA plays in all these late games. It's it's been a while since I've been able to watch them in a fourth quarter setting. But there are similar issues to last season. You have these two generational talent wings in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. You've got Lou Williams, who is an absolute flamethrower. And then you've got guys who can hit open shots. But the problem is, is everyone in their late game lineups is a ball stopper. The ball doesn't move, right? You've got an isolation for Kawhi. You've got a pick and roll with Paul George, but he's just going to dribble around it. They're going to switch the screen and then he's going to dribble another 10 times and then pull up for three. There's, there's not a lot of action or at least exposing mismatches. It's kind of, we're going to go through our two guys. And if the ball gets to you in the corner, even if it's not the best look, you're going to shoot it because ideally one of our top guys is getting doubled and that should be an open shot. So you had like Morris shooting a couple and he was making them a little bit earlier in the quarter and then uh, late game, late game scenario, a miss. And then, yeah, it just, it, it, they need to, they, I, I don't know if it's going to be coming from the buyout market or they just have to figure it out somehow, but they need a little bit more ball movement, a little bit more creativity in those late game scenarios. Cause the bucks just shut them down and the bucks defense has not been great against top offensive teams this season. Uh, and they made the Clippers look like they didn't know what they're doing. And then on the other side, that Giannis dunk comes from a great ball movement, uh, paint penetration corner, swing, swing, Giannis gets the dunk and, and that seals it. Uh, Middleton so much strange to hear. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of, and not anywhere close, but it's a kind of like a Kobe Shaq comparison where Shaq is going to be the most dominant player for three and a half quarters of the game. And then you need a perimeter player to be the one creating offense because they're the ones who dribble the most. They're the ones who can make the pass. They're just, they are able to do more and hit more shots. So they're more dangerous late game. And that's why Giannis, everyone thought he needed to develop a jump shot, but I honestly think he's just better playing more of a Shaq role because he's so incredibly dominant that he kind of needs his Kobe in a sense to be setting up the play be that shooting threat more so because Middleton's been like almost 50, 40, 90 this season. He's been lethal. Um, and and they're, they run a lot of Chris Giannis pick and roll late in the game, and, and that causes a lot of headaches for teams. So, uh, yeah, it, they, they've seemed to be figuring things out. And, and this is great for the Bucks because the last two seasons, three seasons, they just blow teams out every game. And so they didn't have to face this adversity, the stuff we were talking about in the juniors, talking about, a little bit in tennis, stuff like that, is this adversity really matters for teams because the Bucks are now figuring out ahead of the playoffs what they're going to do in these late-game scenarios. Uh, and this was a really big win for them because they get that late-game scenario offense-defense situations. They 
stuff the Clippers and they're able to generate enough scoring. They still, I think they're looking for one more reliable knockdown shooter because you either are running DJ Augustine, who's a defensive liability, Dante DiVincenzo, who's who's streaky, Bryn Forbes is a liability on defense, or you've got uh Pat Connaughton, who's a streaky three-point shooter. And, and we've seen in those playoffs where if Dante and, and Connaughton aren't making those threes, then their offense really struggles because they wall up on Giannis and, and Middleton t- tends to disappear. So it's good for them to be getting those reps and adversity now and, and having those losing streaks that they had last week and having guys out and just being able to finick with the lineup and, and find a set that will work for them when it comes playoff time. Yeah, so many stories going on. I feel like Giannis having one of the quietest like MVP-esque seasons you hear of and I mean wide open east the Bucks have fluctuated around the top so we'll see if they figure things out and maybe return to past season form in the late season game which as you were saying I think is best case for a team to struggle with that adversity overcome it and then step to the summit with that in their back pocket absolutely uh the last note i want to touch on is uh the raptors game against the bulls on uh last night was postponed uh due to some contact tracing COVID 19 issues obviously nick nurse was not there on friday and neither was pascal siakam as the raptors kind of easily beat the houston rockets handed their their 10th straight loss Houston's down bad right now. Um, but Sergio Scariolo was coaching in Poland for the last couple of weeks, uh, coaching the world team and and came back just in time. His quarantine ended just in time to uh, come coach the Raptors and and shout out to him for getting his, his win in the NBA. That's exciting. Uh, but the Raptors are hopefully none of them actually have it. Um, I feel like that's an unlikely scenario and, could be quite a while before they back playing games. And of course the all-star break is coming up. So they may actually have a ton of games shoved into that second half schedule, which is not going to be pleasant. Um, I think I saw, I was watching the Spurs Pelicans briefly yesterday and the Spurs don't have a single stretch where they have two off days in a row, the entire second half of the season. So I'm feeling the Raptors might have a similar situation uh, and with the minutes some of these guys are putting on, especially Fred, who's second in the entire league in minutes played, it's just it's not a great setup for this playoffs because the East is so tight right now and you need those guys to play in order to win, but they're going to be absolutely gassed by the time it makes it to playoff time. So just something to follow to see if the Raptors can get in a couple of their games before uh, the All-Star break, and, and that might help them out in the long term. Yeah, I do remember hearing that Siakam was definitely out just with how the contact tracing protocol worked till the All-Star break. I haven't followed it as much recently, but yeesh, we're, we have our fingers crossed all season. Like, oh, Raptors haven't had any games postponed yet, haven't had any games postponed yet, but I guess that's just been the COVID storyline. Like, no one I know has had it yet, no one I know has had it yet, and then someone I know has it. it it's just a matter of time so hopefully i don't know how many games the league has to slot in at a macro level not just the raptors there's got to be some point where all the executives and gms and owners look at each other and go maybe two more weeks would be all right but i don't know what kind of intensity of schedule it would take to get there yeah, well, it's similar to that the lockout season way back. I think it was 2000, 2000 or 99 where they basically played like a full season in half the amount of time and like it just ruined guys, a lot of the older teams and and you might see some similarities here down the stretch which isn't great for your product. So yeah, the owners do have to be careful here with how they proceed. I think maybe the backdrop is um ratings were so much lower for that September playoffs that there it must be a priority to get the playoffs off as close to typical time as they can absolutely the deadline is is you cannot be playing any games in August no one is watching at that point okay we will move off of the NBA into the G League 
firstly, and uh, just want to talk a little bit about the G League Ignite, who continued to have some success uh, against professional talent. Jalen Green had uh, his best performance, scoring performance at least, of the bubble with 26 points and had some uh, left-to-right step-backs, some spin jumpers, acrobatic layups. This dude's an athlete, and he is starting to figure out how to attack professional defenses um obviously we saw that very first game he was a little bit uh unsure and and had some struggles of course that's going to come with your nerves but he's really starting to figure it out and he's going to be a three-level scorer that that attacks and also can hit contested shots so he's going to be a really intriguing exciting prospect to follow uh, obviously, Kuminga has just completely been solid in the body type. I've already discussed it. Everyone's going to love him. It just depends how far up the board he rises because there are some really top-level prospects that were uh, initially projected ahead of him. So it'll be interesting to see. But I want to talk about Isaiah Todd, uh, who hits the game winner in, in their most recent game, the fadeaway bank shot at the buzzer. Um, he's been... He's... A, a little bit overlooked because of the other three guys who were for sure first round talents. Um, but he has been a great stretch kind of four for this G league ignite team uh, shoots a lot of threes, plays some solid defense. And, and obviously if he's got a, a post game like that, it makes him just a little bit more intriguing for uh, NBA teams out there. So shout out to Isaiah Todd. That was a, that was a fun game winner right at the buzzer. One of, one of the, it was a nice contested fadeaway. We'll move from the G League now uh, to college hoops. And I said that I'm going to get a little bit more into it as we get closer to Selection Sunday and the tournament. Uh, but I just wanted to come back to our, our good friend, Cade, uh, who I haven't talked about in a while. He goes off for 40 points and 11 rebounds in an overtime win over the number seven ranked Oklahoma, uh, the rival of his school, Oklahoma State. He was just carrying the team. It was like they run a pick and roll. They would trap him, and then his guy would roll away, and, and the center would follow, and then he was just stuck in a one-on-one ISO scenario. It happened so many times where he'd attack, get fouled, or he'd have to shoot a shot that was super contested, but somehow he'd make it. Like 40 points in a college game is really difficult to do. Just there's less time in the games. Um really really impressive performance they do a lot of high low still with him because he can he can really body up those smaller guards that are defending him and what i've seen is and and people are going to start writing articles about this is like he definitely iq wise and skills wise he's a top guy but the the thing that might separate him from being the next super duper star is the athletic tools because right now he's big but he's going up against smaller guards. If once the league starts figuring him out, they might start putting wings to defend him. And he may struggle because right now he scores a lot based on his size. And you could say that about a lot of guys, but for him, especially, it seems like he overwhelms smaller guards or he shoots over smaller guards. Uh, and he doesn't necessarily have that upper echelon of athleticism to really attack guys. And so it will be interesting to see at the NBA level, if he will maintain the same level of success when there are guys who are as fast as him, who are as quick as him and as, as big as him. And obviously he'll still be a great playmaker um, and be able to run an offense, but will he be that guy that completely leads a team? If it's, if it becomes more difficult for him to create his own shot at the NBA level. So something to follow uh, and something to monitor uh, as we move forward towards the NBA draft. It does sound like this draft might be shaping up in a way almost similar to last draft where there were like advantages and disadvantages in potential position, athletic ability, which kind of evened out the candidates to a point that the selection was more about fulfilling team needs as opposed to getting like the bona fide number one player. So it'll be interesting come draft time to see if how those are. Uh, highs and lows strengths and weaknesses in each player situate in each team and to what extent that uh, determines the draft order i think the key difference 
is while they'll have a lot of like similar talent at the top of the draft, the 2021 draft is just on another level Yeah, where like, there's a lot of guys who are on the same level as was this year's draft, but just the talent level and the potential is just higher. So it's like, I don't, it, you could struggle about who you're going to pick, but you know that your pick is most likely going to be a solid pick. Whereas like in this draft, it was very unsure if LaMelo would take a step, if Anthony Edwards would be good, if Wiseman would be good, if even Patrick Williams would be good. All those guys have turned out to be pretty solid so far, but it, there's just more certainty with this year's draft. And so it'll be interesting to see uh, what the order shapes up. Like there's still lots of time before the next draft. Yeah, I'm getting way too ahead of myself. Just looking forward to even having that draft order to start speculating. Yeah. All right. We'll take a quick break and finish up with some hockey talk. And we're back for some talking hockey. I was unfortunately watching UFC on Saturday and I might have missed out, but on paper, it really doesn't look like there's much to criticize about this latest Leaf performance. No penalties taken. Um, McDavid held a one shot on goal, a shutout for Campbell in his return to net, and the scoring spread out among all the top guys with Willie Nylander continuing where he left off the other night, Tavares stepping up, Marner stepping up, showing the Leafs nation that there is more to this team than just Austin Matthews, which has probably become overstated as a talking point, or Matthews himself has become overstated as a talking point. Absolutely. We saw on Monday, the Leafs had a ton of injuries and they struggled. And there was worries that this might be similar. No Freddie, no Austin, uh, obviously some guys who are still out and this was maybe the most complete performance the Leafs have played in a very long time uh, maybe even hearkening back to that in, like defensively I think of uh, when Nas absolutely shut down McDavid and scored the overtime goal I think it was two seasons ago uh, that was a fun one but this team like opportunistic uh, in the first period felt like the Oilers had a bit more possession, but they weren't really getting any shots. Uh, and then the Leafs may took advantage of their opportunities. Uh, only there was only one penalty drawn in the entire game, which seems a little bit uh, bizarre. Like just with the talent, there's got to be more penalties called than that. We need a little bit more consistency, but I'm not going to complain uh, because the Oilers power play has been pretty lethal. And uh, just like, I don't know. It's just so solid. They got the lead and they went into this defensive shell that really frustrated the Oilers and, and didn't allow them to get a lot of opportunities. Like even late in the game, Oilers trying to pull the goalie and the Leafs just were maintaining possession of the puck and getting it deep and not letting it happen. And so just really impressive win that helps them extend their lead in the North division against the number two team. And, uh, of course, they're playing them. I think they're playing them the night, and uh, we'll see. I think McDavid's probably going to respond with a pretty uh, special night, but that's what happens. And if they can play like they did a couple days ago, then they they got to be in store for another great performance. And so happy for Campbell. Uh, he got run into in the game, and Hall was all over the perpetrator right in his face, shoving him the ice. It's it's nice to see that the boys are protecting themselves and each other, especially a guy like Campbell, who is beloved. Like, he's just the nicest dude ever. Um, so if anyone ever touches him, all Leafs fans want to run to that person's house and beat the crap out of them, uh, protect our guys. And uh, the la like a good problem to have that the Leafs seem to be having is decent goaltending. Like, Hutch solid stretch there Campbell comes in gets a shutout and our number one is not even back from injury yet so uh like forever we've complained about not having a backup and now it seems like we've got two I still am a little hesitant to call Hutch a reliable backup but he was solid in the games that he played and having a, a goaltender problem is such a luxury to have right now and um so just happy that they're getting good efforts out of the guys and, and especially the team in front of them playing more defensively solid in order to make the lives easier for Hutch and Campbell and 
uh, yeah, just keep rolling on the season. Like really not much to complain about. Yeah, I do. I'm so hesitant to say anything praiseworthy, especially of this nature. But I do feel that defensive identity of the team is there in a way that I can't really ever remember it being there. Mostly in that in almost all of our games, even some of the losses, I feel there have been very few where the other team has managed to generate better score and more scoring chances than us. Like, sure, you're not going to score on every scoring chance. And sure, sometimes the other team is going to get an ugly one or something that shouldn't have gone in. But if eight, nine out of 10 games, you're getting more scoring chances, then you are probably going to win six or seven of those games. And when you have a team that's so offensively threatening in those one or two out of 10 games where you didn't generate as many scoring chances and got a little outplayed, we still have the firepower to get it done, which goes back to that win over the Canucks where we scored two goals in 11 seconds. So yes, we had that collapse against Ottawa, but even in that game, I I do think that was just an threading the needle in like them being perfect on capitalizing on every scoring chance and us dropping the ball because even in that third period we had several chances to put it away um the only thing i need to see from this team is Ilya mikhaev getting a little more finish in his blood because it's past the point of luck i feel like i mean i want to know how many breakaway chances he is had and scored not scored on because i imagine he's like got to be setting a league record in <laughs> that number it's I, I like at first it felt like luck but now it's like does this guy know how to finish i don't yeah it even though it hasn't ha- been there for him uh that third line as a whole has been really solid recently with Engball and and with hyman and a lot of grit and speed which we were very, very excited for, and, and they've been showing it off. And also like guys who like Engvall and McKay have maybe not the like rabid puck grabbers, like a Hyman, but they are long and their sticks get in there and they've got a bit of size and, and with the speed, it's just good combination for a four checking line because of the length and the size and the speed, not necessarily the most skill, but when you're that big and, and that, uh, harassing of the puck, you're going to generate some chances. And uh, Hyman had one where he came out of the zone and, and sniped it, which <laughs> nice to see from him uh, because normally he's getting just the open net backdoor uh, tap-ins from Marner. But uh, yeah, nice to see him get one on his own off of his hard work. So good for him. And yeah, the Leafs, they will, they have a couple more here against Vancouver and, and then, as as well and then uh next week is probably the biggest week of the season so far for them because they will get a three game look against the winnipeg jets a tuesday thursday saturday triple header uh and that is definitely gonna have big implications for what the standings will look like in the north division uh the jets win again beat the habs in overtime uh they have just been quietly really solid as i continue to mention and uh, they're a team that if they win their games in hand, they are three points behind the Leafs for first in the division. And, and if they manage to do that this week and then play the Leafs three times, we could see a new team at the top. So uh, something the Leafs can't necessarily look ahead to yet because you have to always play the team that's in front of you. But definitely something to keep in the back of your mind because these two teams, I think, are the best two teams in the division. Uh, and it will be a heavyweight bout when they square off. And I think the Jets are going to really punish them physically. Yeah, I mean, one number two contender down onto the next has been the story thus far, dispatching the Canadians. I don't know if you, the Oilers down but not out after that last one for sure. No need to get too hasty and putting them away. But the, just the rotating number two threat in the Canadian division so far the Leafs have managed to come up with the answer it's funny for the Habs I mean three three on three overtime goals away from having six in their last eight points and instead I imagine the franchise in a little bit of shambles meltdown mode and I don't don't know how uh, deserved that is I mean 
three games going to extra time and going 0 for 3 in that is I I don't know what the correct takeaway is. They're not they're playing close enough over 60 minutes and we just talked about the Jets as a number 2 team, so you can't I don't know. It I think it depends on where his expectations like should this be a team that is able to take the number one place or are they going to have to scrap it out which maybe determines how you see this i didn't have super high expectations for the habs going into this season they way outperformed those at the start whereas now this is more where i saw that team so i'm not freaking out but i imagine some habs fans feel a little different yeah well like technically they've lost five in a row even though they've got the loser points and uh, the Flames beating the Senators uh, on Saturday and uh, play them again tonight. So hope, hopefully for them that they can pick up another two points. The Habs have two games in hand and are still a point ahead of the Flames. So in that regard, they can uh, have a little bit of solace. But obviously, if you're on a losing streak, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win those games in hand and, and keep your lead. So uh, it's going to come down to the Montreal and Calgary right now, fighting it out for that fourth spot as it stands. Uh, things obviously can move, but uh, yeah, the the Senators get their three game win streak snapped by the, the Flames. Um, nice for them to have a little run there, uh, but yeah, big game tonight for the Flames. They have a chance to leapfrog Montreal in the standings and Habs fans like, I think it's even worse for them because of how well they started in the season when if they had started off a little bit worse then the expectations get lowered a little bit and then they'd be a little bit more satisfied with where they are in the standings right now because this I think like you said this is where we kind of expected them to be a fringe team they don't really have any of that top top end talent to, to their game breakers except for a carry price and he's been underwhelming so far so yeah it <laughs> I, I'm sorry that Montreal fans are unhappy right now. Not really, but <laughs> uh, I think they'll figure things out just because this team it is it's well-structured. Uh, and even if it's not the top-end team, it's definitely a team that is going to be a tough out every night. Yeah, it's just a matter of not having like what Toronto has, what Edmonton has even to an extent what Winnipeg has in just those consistent goal scorers. I mean, uh, Suzuki still very much a work in progress, showing plenty of potential for that, but you can't say he's fully stepped up to that level yet. Anderson may be their best goal scorer on the team, which is, I guess, just a little underwhelming for a number one consistent contender. Calgary Ottawa this series has very much in- interested me because he had Ottawa coming off uh, their two game their two upsets in a row over Montreal you had Calgary coming off grabbing three out of four points against the Maple Leafs so I felt like there was some momentum up for grabs in this series right now it stands at one game apiece and kind of tonight then for all the marbles so I'm going to be interested in what happens i mean saturday night playing out as preseason expectations would have borne and then where the winner of tonight's game will go from here to see if there's anything to my thoughts about the momentum being grabbed or maybe it'll be simple as a bad team beats a worse team and then goes on to lose to better teams i don't know well it certainly will be fun to continue to follow the Canadian division. Uh, I wanted to quickly shout out Patrick Kane for his 400th goal of his career and the Blackhawks continue to roll. Uh, they've been probably the surprise of the American teams that we have not been following as closely, but uh, should be some more fun games on schedule tonight, three Canadian games uh, in action and uh, should be just fun to continue to watch it. So last that, question. Yeah. Where were you 11 years ago today when Sidney Crosby scored the golden goal? Uh, oh, so I was in Florida. Um, so we have, my mom has childhood friends who live in Naples, Florida, and uh, we were there on vacation. We usually would go um, every year to go visit just because 
I don't know, my sister and I, we were really young and you, in that age, you can just take a week off school and not miss anything, the good old days. Uh, and we'd go visit them and, and maybe go to Disney World or uh, go somewhere else in Florida, have a fun week. And uh, we were at their place. Um, she has an American husband who was cheering for us, but everyone else in the house was cheering for Canada. And it was a pretty awesome moment. And yeah, I definitely still remember where I was funny how those awesome moments work out eh yeah i i remember having a fear towards ryan miller that i have <laughs> rarely felt in my life maybe Where were you? i was in my basement with my dad classic yeah that's yeah my dad and i were watching the joey bats bat flip i'll never forget that moment either um yeah just awesome moments where were you when and uh, something to think back on. It's crazy how he's playing his 1,000th game now. <laughs> and 11 years ago that he was right in the prime. And and so, like, such an awesome talent. Yeah. I, we said it all last time, but I can't really get too sick of praising Crosby. And no. just had to bring it up that I can't, in terms of stakes, in terms of players, step the right player stepping up, in the right moment, I really can't envision a bigger sporting moment in my life. So, yeah, it it's our version of the Gerald, uh, Ger no, not Gerald Henderson, Hen Paul Henderson's goal in the Summit Series back in '72. It's our equivalent, right? Yeah. Except it was Sidney Crosby who scored it. So yeah. maybe even, I I don't really know who Paul Henderson is. So, <laughs> all right. That wraps things up for us on the pod. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the new intro song. Maybe let us know what you think. Uh, and definitely uh, reach out to us on Twitter or on Instagram if you have any questions that you want us to answer on the show. It'd be a fun little segment for us to do. Uh, once again, thank you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, we're wherever you want to listen to us, share with your friends, keep things rolling. Uh, we're still going to try and create more and more content for you guys. Maybe coming up with a trailer, maybe some more music coming into the pod. We're still just trying to build things out very early on, uh, but enjoying every moment of it. Happy to take recommendations, suggestions, hear it all. Let us know where you were at when uh, Sidney Crosby scored the golden goal 11 years ago. Until next time, Sports Next Door signing off. <laughs>